WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We're here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night, just as soon as the Red Sox are ready to let us do so. Uh, from what I understand, this is supposed to be an earlier game today, but uh, because of the Bruins parade, they moved it back to a 7 o'clock start. So here we are, starting the show a little bit late, uh, so we'll try and figure things out on the fly, because we have a great show lined up for you tonight. We actually have uh, two guests that are going to be joining us over the course of the evening. Uh, first, we're going to have Thomas Sheridan in the first hour, and he's going to be talking with us about his fascinating new book. Uh, it is called The Pu- Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. And since I <laughs> deal with a couple of psychopaths here every Saturday night, um, <laughs> yeah. What, what, what do you think is causing that problem, Matt? What problem? <laughs> <laughs> and we continue on with the show. <laughs> and then a little bit later on, we'll be joined by Jeffrey Gonzalez of Sanger Paranormal Society, uh, with some interesting Bigfoot news, from what I understand. I don't know anything about this. See, Chris just booked this. Our, our content director, Chris Balzano, booked this interview with us for the second hour, and uh, I don't know anything about it. So I'm excited because I'm going to be finding about, out about it just as long uh, alongside the audience. So, And uh, for those of you who are watching on Spooky TV, we have some new cameras up in the studio, uh, which is, I, I can't believe how, I'm fascinated by how much technology we have in this place now. Uh, if my mic is dropping out, somebody in the chat room can just let me know because we're losing it here in the studio. I don't know if it's us or am I, am, is my mic dropping out, guys, in the chat room? Please let us know. But uh, we do have some fascinating new equipment here to play with, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Uh, let's. Uh, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash spook backslash SpookyTV, you can check out for yourself and you can join the live chat. And I know this makes for great radio when we do this, but... Uh, Watch this shot. Ready? (laughs) (laughs) It was working great, I swear. Everything was working great before the show started. And uh, there we go. We have a brand new camera here for me. And uh, it's a little bit better, I think, than the previous shot, which is I think was directly up my nose. And then speaking of directly up your nose, we also have a new camera uh, from Matt Moniz, but we got to kind of work on getting (laughs) that one a little bit better positioned uh, because right now it's halfway to his brain. So uh, we will foster our way through that and let's get right into the discussion with our first guest tonight thomas sheridan was born in dublin he's a professional artist and writer living and working in south sligo i hope i'm saying that right under the shadow of the ox mountains a former rock musician and graphic designer he moved to the region in 1998 and has been painting full-time since 2005 and as we said his new book is called puzzling people the labyrinth of the psychopath Uh, you can check it out at labyrinthpsycho.blogspot.com to find out more, but he joins us now on the phone all the way from Ireland. Uh, good evening, good morning, good whatever time of day it is for you over there, Thomas. Hi, guys. It's uh, 3.30 in the morning. Well, thank you for getting up early for us, or staying up late, whichever way you decided to do it. Uh, so I, st- I stayed up too, so no worries. I'm used to it by this stage. 
And the the great thing we're talking about all this technology we have here, we're uh, we're joining up with you over Skype, so it sounds like you're in the same room with us, even though you're across the pond. Wonderful, I can hear you great too. Excellent. Well, when you first contacted me about this, I, I said, you know, it doesn't really fit necessarily the paranormal theme that we usually talk about on this show. But when I read your email, I started to realize, wait a minute, I think I'm coming into contact with a lot of psychopaths on a daily basis, just based on my own personal opinion of them. Uh, but after uh, reading some of the book, it, it seems like psychopaths are a little bit more prevalent than we might think they are. Yes, they're, they're roughly 4% of society in, in the Western world. They're about one in every 22 to 25 people between Europe and North America, according to public health bodies more common than than people realize because they have this notion that a psychopath is specifically an axe killer or a Jeffrey, you know, not a Jeffrey Dahmer, but a, a, a you know, Ted Bundy type. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they're not. They're, they're, they're a per- person who lives amongst us. And they're, they're generally what I've come to after the, the years of studying this issue, uh, what's basically a predatory consciousness that exists and lives amongst the human race that basically sees the rest of us as a target. Now, we could be a target in every way from wanting to take our money to wanting to take our country, but the pernicious psychopathic drive is the same in all these individuals. It's them against us. Well, one of the themes that you talk about in the book, Puzzling People, is you mentioned that uh, you know the, the psychopath is incapable of feeling remorse or any empathy toward their target, toward their victim. Um, but that leads to the question, at least in my mind, are they consciously aware of what they're doing, or is it just something that's hardwired into their personality? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're aware of what they're doing. What happens is they're born this way. What, and when they're growing up, they will notice that their friends and the people around them that they know have these things called emotions in relation to things that upset them, like if a, if a parent dies or a grandmother dies or a dog dies or a cat dies, they'll see the kids getting around them getting very upset and wondering why they're, they're, they're fretting and they're, why they're, you know, they're, they're crying and why they're withdrawn. And it dawns on them by the time they're a teenager, an early teenager, that they, have, they don't have the same kind of emotional experiences that the rest of us do. And they become aware that they're not like us. Now, what, ha- what happens by the time they reach puberty is they make a specific decision in their lives. They say to themselves, okay, I could, I, I, I've got this... Uh, this ability not to feel, but if I pretend I can feel, if I can pretend I can love, full uh, ability to manipulate, deceive, and destroy and take what I want from anyone without having to feel any remorse about doing it, and therefore, essentially, in terms of their emotional experience, they're completely feral. And yes, they are aware of what they're doing, and they know. This is what makes them, you know, not unwell victims who need our sympathy. Yes, they are born this way, but they make a specific decision to do bad because they know right from wrong, and they choose wrong because basically excites them. It gives them a thrill. Well, I, I definitely know many people that are like that. <laughs> yeah, I married a couple. Well, and they might say the same about you. Ah, this this guy to my this guy to my left, uh, Thomas uh, Matt Moniz is uh, a pretty good judge of character. Um, he, he always kind of has a, a raised eyebrow to most people in general. He, he doesn't always take people at face value, and you know he really kind of digs into their personality before he gets close to them. I mean, it took a long time before um, 
I don't think I'm insulting you here, but it no. took a while before we were actually really friends. I mean, you were very guarded when you came into the show, and, and you, you know, it took a while for you to let your hair down, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Well, cause... I think that's very wise by Matt. I think that's actually, you know, I, I, I've actually become more like that myself now since I've this, you know, I've had problems with psychopaths in my past, mm-hmm. and specifically in the working environment. I first found out about all this stuff when I was working on Wall Street, and I'd imagine the uh, the, the radio and the, the media business is the same. They, they do attract a certain personality type because it's a, it's, it gives them the power and access to, well, many different things that they wouldn't get in a normal job, especially ego stuff. So Matt is actually right to do that. Uh, this is one of the ways that psychopaths get you. If you're too open in your personality, they, they read into your personality and especially anything that they can use as a trigger to actually take control of you or to manipulate you. So it's actually a wise, you know, I would, uh, my suggestion would be to be, you know, to be, to be casually friendly. Friendly, to be courteous, but to also be wary until you get to know a person. So you know, it's 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 probably a good way to live. I think. Well, but uh, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you up. But part what I was going to say was though, for somebody who is like that and is so guarded to have let psychopaths kind of slip by him, it just shows that uh, you know it, it's you, you can't really detect them right from the bat until sometimes until it's too late. No, because they oh, have no. a personality. No, I'm oh, sorry to interrupt. No, I was going to say they have the, this type of personality where they're able to read people like me that are a little bit more guarded. So it becomes more of a game to them to get in, if I'm not mistaken. You're absolutely right. In fact, it's a challenge, and it's something they work on. Like a lot of the people who contacted me since the book came out, and they've all said the same thing. I'm a strong person. I'm a strong man. I'm a strong, independent woman. How come I was targeted? And that's who the target it, it gives them, it gives them a, a, you know, as you said, a target to work for and a challenge to rise to, and they love nothing better than to take someone like that and then just demolish them if they can. Well, is there a difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? Because we hear both terms used to describe people of, of what you're describing. No, it's the same thing. It's it's two different names for the same pathology. In the very early, the first term ever used, well, the early, very earliest terms were things like they were called moral insanity or moral imbecility. And then for about the last 100 years, the term psychopath has been quite, you know, the, the norm to describe these types. What happened was when the Alfred Hitchcock movie Psycho came out in the early 60s, uh, to distinguish from a, a murderous one from a sort of a social psychopath who's not violent, they invented the term sociopath but it's the same thing it's come back into vogue again psychopath again but uh, it, it's just it's just terminology for the two names of the same pathology well you mentioned earlier that these people uh, do not deserve our sympathy that they're not unwell people they know full well what they're doing uh, but if that's the case I, I don't understand why this wouldn't be a considered a mental condition uh, if it's you know if it's something that's that's wired into them why is it not considered something that is not only um, you know, medical in nature, but also potentially treatable. Well, it's, it, there's no treatment for it, and no one has ever treated it, and no one has ever become, you know, you know, not become a psychopath. They, they're like that till the day they die. If they do CAT scans on them, these are the old people in the old homes who are stealing money off others and things like that. Uh, no, there's no cure. But the, the thing is, I, you know, you do struggle with this idea that they're, you know, Surely, if they're sick people, they need our sympathy. But it's a very, very different thing with these. They're very aware that they're sick. They're very aware that they're different, and they don't care. And now, I would, I'm not suggesting we should sort of 
or take away their civil rights or anything like that. But at the same time, too, and there would be psychopaths, I'm sure, and I haven't met them yet, but I'm sure they do exist, who know they're psychopaths and just, you know, they just don't bother anybody because they just want an easy life or else they have everything they need. But the thing is that makes them so dangerous is they're aware of their pathology and then they use that pathology to go after the rest of us. It would be like someone who had bubonic plague and got a kick out of, like, breeding their germs on others. Well, how – I mean, what is kind of the uh, the chronology of dealing with a psychopath? I mean, uh, how do they find a way to kind of infiltrate your life and then and where might it go from there? Well, the first thing is they'll identify you as a potential target. Suppose – I could be anything. You could be good-looking. You could have a bit of money. You could just be something as simple as having a place for them to live because they've nowhere to live and don't want to pay rent. The first thing they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll have a, a whole range of targets that they'll be – potential targets they'll be checking out and then they will they will find a one that gives them the you know the best benefits with the least amount of work because they're fundamentally lazy and suppose you know you were a woman who say just had been just divorced or you've just been widowed well you'd be very tempted to a male psychopath because first of all you'd be lonely and you would have a place to live and there may even be an insurance payoff so there he's looking at three things money sex and and a roof over his head. And he would then start to engage this person as a friend at first and start to, to know her triggers. He may find out that their husband died of cancer and he'll probably make up a story about, oh, you know, my mother died of cancer, my sister died of cancer, I nursed them on their deathbed. Uh, he may find out that she's an environmentalist and he'll show up, you know, talk, you know pretending he's like a, a big fan of Al Gore and how much he cares about the environment. He will find the things that you're into and the things that you believe leaving and then he will he or upon that and they will look for aspects in your life that are missing if you didn't have a father figure when you when you were growing up they will become that father figure if you didn't have a, a if you had an unfulfilling sex life with your present partner or your last partner they will be everything you ever wanted in the bedroom and and things like that and it'll then they will also flatter you they will do things like flattery if you're if you're insecure about your looks say you're a little bit overweight they'll tell you that you're you're, you're absolutely stunning and beautiful and it's all a lie. It's all to get you to break down your guard and trust them. And once they once they're in there, it's almost like you know they bore into your psyche, and eventually they begin to starting to replace your personality with theirs. Ultimately, you will become a sort of a mind control slave in the uh, personal sense, in terms of your own intellect and psyche, until. You know, they'll start doing things like uh, changing your sense of reality around you, lying when you know that the, the, what they're saying is not true. But they'll say it in such a way you'll start to doubt your own sanity. This is called gaslighting. They will do all kinds of things to project their own problems upon you. And they will confuse, distort, and eventually you won't know the difference in black, white, day or night. And you become kind of dependent on them. And when they reach the, when it reaches that stage, you're then a slave. You know, we, I said at the beginning of the show that, you know, normally we talk about the paranormal and that this comes outside of the realm of the paranormal, but it sounds like something that's paranormal. It sounds like something that, you know, lurks in the shadows. Uh, the idea of a psychopath uh, coming up with all these different ways of breaking you down and, and basically feeding off of you. Uh, but, you, you know, we talked about how this is kind of hardwired into them, but is it possible that a psychopath can develop as a result of how they're raised, of the, of the nurture aspect instead of the nature? No, a true psychopath is born. You can actually make someone who's a, you know, say someone who's 
experienced a horrific childhood, I don't know, a, a refugee in war or, you know, sexual abuse or something by a priest, this individual may grow up to be what I would call a proto-psychopath, where they would be lashing out at the world and they would have psychopathic behaviors. But they wouldn't have the uh, brain anomalies or the, uh, the, the, the difference, you know, the... The, the lack of activity were in their frontal cortex. They would just be simply angry people who would be emulating the only thing they knew, and that would be violence against the world. But if you got those people, you could cure them, where you can't cure a psychopath. Now, to address what you were saying about the paranormal aspects, in my book I actually deal with the whole concept of psychopaths in folklore and allegory. And if you look at many of the motifs out there regarding things like uh, vampires, demon possession, you know, things like the jinn and other aspects, the werewolf, the psychopaths have generally have high levels of testosterone and are very feral and they have strange sleeping patterns. They may be a, a lot of them will, will be a these things in a pre-scientific age. They would have been rationalized as that. Well, uh, one of the, the big discussions that we have uh, here on the show uh, all the time is that when people do pass on, you know, and, and when we deal with some of the spirits and some of the ghosts, we, we talk about how they retain whatever their personality was uh, when they were alive. And so some of the things that we deal with are pretty nasty. And I just wonder if some of these negative spirits that people are always encountering, uh, the ones that they might even tag demonic, could actually be psychopaths who have passed on and are still basically living that same lifestyle in the afterlife. Well, it could be possible. I mean, I've no experience of this myself, and I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm an open-minded person, so I'm not like close-minded to to anything like that. But I do, in terms of this book, I have to stick with the actual, you know, the reduction of science science mm. stuff as much as possible. But I will say this: what's inside a psychopath? The actual consciousness that's in there, and I'm talking about the actual consciousness, the underlying sort of observer behind the brain that we all have, or behind the mind. What's in there is not one of us and I, I absolutely have come to that conclusion now it is some kind of negative or predatory consciousness that exists within humanity to st they almost see the rest they're almost like a, con a mutated consciousness now this brings up other aspects too, like the whole you know, the whole idea of the reptilian complex of the brain. There's a part, the lower part of our brain is actually a reptilian brain, and it's obsessed with things like uh, survival, uh, sexual passing on your DNA to sexual reproduction, uh, killer be killed. It's paranoid, and then the upper parts of the brain above that would be the mammalian cortexes, and then things like the frontal cortex where we have things like uh, cognitive awareness, creativity, compassion, and those. The thing with the thing with the with with that is it's almost like the psychopathic consciousness lives almost within the reptilian or complex part of the brain. So, if you know there is such a thing as life after death, and I'm sure, maybe there is, I'm sure there is. I have very different ideas about the you know, the collective consciousness and and like how the psyche is eternal in a different kind of way. But if there is such a thing as a, an, an eternal afterlife spirit. It, it, and it was a psychopath in the previous life. It would absolutely be the same way because it would the actual it, what would actually survive death is the same thing that existed before we were born, and that's consciousness. So a negative consciousness would absolutely, if it was in that state, would be exactly the same as in life. So yeah, maybe that's what the people are encountering. We are talking with uh, Thomas Sheridan. He's the author of Puzzling People: The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. And uh, you can go to his uh, website. It's uh, labyrinth. Labyrinth Psycho. Am I getting that right? 
I'll let you. I'll let you give it, Thomas. What, what's the uh, website again for the book? It's Labyrinth Psycho at that dot blogspot dot com, and my YouTube uh, channel has just dozens of videos now on the subject, including stuff to do with allegorical and folk folk uh, motifs of psychopaths. It's called Thomas Sheridan Arts. And that that's an interesting question. You're an artist by trade, right? Yeah. And how does, an, how, how does an artist get to this point where they're basically uh, devoting so much time breaking down the psyche of the psychopath? Well, I'll tell you how. I started out in the music business. I was playing in a band in New York, and I met some really strange people and found myself <laughs> in some very strange situations. And at the time, I assumed, okay, you know, I'm in the alternative music scene here, and I'm playing in the lo- bands in the Lower East Side, and this is just how people normally are. They're, they're artists, bohemians, whatever. And then I dealt with that. But then when I left that, I went to – I studied as a graphic designer and went to work for a very famous or very infamous Wall Street investment bank. And while I was working there, I kind of became friends with this – Banker, and he was he, he, he was from a wealthy Manhattan family, but he'd absolutely driven his family nuts because he was out of control. He was doing things like stealing sports cars that belonged to his father's friend, and spending his mother's credit cards. And he eventually one day blurted out to me out of the blue, and I think he was trying to impress me because I was telling him about my band days and the adventures we'd got up to. And he goes, "Hey, you know I'm a psychopath." And I burst out laughing. I said, what do you mean you're a psychopath? You chop people up. And he goes, no, I'm not that kind of psychopath. Then he started to tell me how his family had enough of him when he was about 19. And they sent him to the top, like, you know, psychiatric hospitals in New York. And they did a CAT scan. And he, he scored at the high end of the scale. And then I started asking him about what was it like. And he started to tell me a lot of things I'm telling you right now about, like, his emotional life. And then I, then I said to him, can you point out other people in the building in our department, the other departments who are also psychopaths, and he started to tell me, oh, yeah, we have a, like, an instinctual ability to recognize each other. That's very spooky. It's almost clairvoyant. Mm. And uh, he started to uh, point them out. And funny enough, there were the people that used to give me the creeps when they would walk by. If they walked into a room, there would be a sense of negative tension, negative energy in the room. And that just became my my you know, my intro into the subject. And I started reading books and I started collecting articles and whatever I could find on the stuff. And the more I read about the stuff, it made me, it made it very easy for me to be able to deal with pro- the, like, individuals and negative situations that had happened in my life. And so eventually one thing led to another. And I, I made some videos for YouTube and then a publisher in, in the UK saw them and offered me to asked me to write a book and that's how puzzling people came out but yeah it's been so i know it's, it's kind of a strange journey but uh, it's just something that fascinates me i think it, ultimately it was me trying to come to terms with the nature of evil and what makes people so can, can be so heartless and controlling well it's funny that you mentioned you know you met some some strange people in the music business and we meet some strange people in our business as well uh, both in the media and in the paranormal uh but it seems to me like uh, when you're under the the control of one of these psychopaths as, as much as you uh want to try to believe that there's good in them uh it, it just doesn't seem like that's the case it doesn't seem like there's any to be found from from what you're describing oh there is no good in them in fact i, I when i do presentations now and i'm doing speaking engagements i'll actually talk, i'll start off by saying i look y- your grandmother told you that everybody has some good in them well i'm here to tell you that four percent of the human race has absolutely no good in them and that's the truth there's nothing in there that's it's, it's purely malicious it, it, even though it seems like it's wonderful at times i mean you're talking about people who put a, a wedding ring on a wedding band on your finger on, and swear you know their vows before god and it has no more meaning to them than like ordering a cheeseburger 
and they're just using it to get you to you just something they can use right then you know you're talking about people as soon as they're married, will begin cheating with three or four other people at the same time. Mm. I mean, there's there's no conscience, there's no humanity, there's no empathy. Everybody is a target, and they have no sense of self-reflection or anything like that. This is another interesting, another interesting spooky aspect about them is that when they go to sleep at night, they literally close their eyes and they're out. It's like a machine switching off, and when they wake up in the morning, the, the eyelids literally open and they step out of bed. And it's it's it it's almost like they're this, they live in this sort of like robotic world of bla- of where everyone's a target and I'm the machine or I'm the entity that's going to use them. Sounds like politicians. Oh yeah, that's that's the main oh. trust in my work more and more in recent times. It's just like that's who I'm getting called up mostly by now to do interviews with people who deal with political issues. Politicians are natural psychopaths. Uh, you think it's everything they want is there. They they can they, this is how they can lie to people, tell the most appalling lies, make them the most incredible pro- poli- promises, and as soon as they're in office, they're like, I don't care, and they'll just do the opposite. Well, we have about four minutes left uh, in this hour before we have to take a break. There is a call on the line. Now, uh, for, for those listening at home, we do have Thomas on Skype uh, all the way from Ireland, so we're going to have to kind of relate the question, and I don't think they're going to be able to hear the answer. So, caller, we'll let you ask your question. We'll relate it. We suggest that you hang up uh, and be able to listen immediately. Uh, all right. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast uh, with Thomas Sheridan. How are you doing? Uh, hi, guys. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say, yeah, there's uh, plenty of psychopaths in New Bedford. Uh <laughs> First and foremost, but next, I want to know how much this has to do with like the economy and how many sociopaths are caused by a bad economy, and are the people who do better in the economy better sociopaths than the ones who do not, you know, uh, achieve their means? That's it. Okay, we'll relate that question, Thomas. I don't think you could hear that question, right? Yeah, I heard the question. It's oh, a good excellent. one. It's oh, cool. one that comes up all the time. Uh, the, the issue with them in their, their economic survival and how they survive, it, well, you have to remember when they're actually, if there's a bad economy, they're not doing better because they're, you know, they're they're they're, they're smarter than the rest of us. They're, often they're quite stupid. They're they're doing better because they're, they're scamming somebody. Now, inherent in that scam is the seeds of their own self destruction. This is why they're all ultimately doomed in the end because it doesn't matter if they're doing well when you're doing bad they will eventually they've all got this like self-destruct button under their foot and one day they'll stamp their foot too hard and destroy themselves and this is brought about by their cockiness they're incredibly narcissistic they have that all of them have this godlike complex and so that yes and this is why when they get into positions of power ceos of companies they destroy these companies this is why you see, it's a fine line here. On one hand, in certain businesses, psychopaths are absolutely excellent because they're ruthless, because of their weird sleeping patterns. They can work till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, show up at 9 o'clock the next day. I saw this all the time in Wall Street and be perfectly okay with it. But their actual production and their work output is usually a joke. They're usually more – they're giving the the image of a hot shot or they're given the image of a go-getter but that's not the same thing as actually being intellectual because most of them are actually quite intellectually stupid and what they do is they will end up destroying these companies because they will they, they'll, they, they'll get the management and 
even themselves at the very top, to have even the shareholders, to have all this faith in them that these people, look at him, he's such a go-getter, he's so cocky, he's so, you know, he knows what he's doing, but ultimately he doesn't know what he's doing and he'll end up bringing the company down with them. So, you know, if you if you know a psychopath and he seems to be doing well right now, I mean, I know the economy all over the world is, is a mess at the moment, but just just blow themselves up you know and a lot of them also they do well in jobs because they bully people they're, tr- they're most of the, the most sadistic bullies in the work pl- workplace are always psychopaths all right well we have to take a break for the news uh, when we come back on the other side it's going to be about a six minute break thomas but we'll bring you back and uh, i know we don't want to name all the names but maybe we'll throw out some of the names because you name some names in the book puzzling people the labyrinth of the psychopaths so we'll talk about all that and more coming up in just a few minutes after the news And then uh, later on in the second half of the hour, we're going to be talking some Bigfoot stuff, so you want to stay tuned for that as well. And if you're not watching Spooky TV, you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV. You can watch it there, and you can join in the chat room as well. So we will be right back with more in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. going to tell him. Let's not wake him. We'll find out soon enough. Let him have one last. The spooky South Coast is back. No one is safe. Hold on tight. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, hour number two, or, you know, the rest of the show, as we can call it tonight, because we got a late start due to the Red Sox. But we are here to talk with you and to talk with our guest. Currently, right now, we're talking with Thomas Sheridan about his new book, Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. And then coming up a little bit later on in the second hour, we're going to be talking about some exciting new Bigfoot news uh, with our guest. Uh, His name is Jeffrey Gonzalez, and he'll be talking with us about... Some, I, don't, I actually don't know. So I'm going to be excited to find out right alongside with you, the listener. Uh, but we are talking about psychopaths with Thomas Sheridan right now. And, and before the break, uh, Thomas, we were talking kind of about the nature of the psychopath. And uh, in this hour, I want to talk a little bit more about some examples of that. But one thing, why don't we tell everybody where they can get the book? Right when I need them. Oh, yeah, we still have them. Hold on. we got to bring it back Amazon. up, Tom. I'm sorry, what was that again? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. So, so, yep. Now we can hear. Yep. So, so, uh, if you go to Amazon.com and, uh, look for the book Puzzling People. If you you don't want to deal with credit cards, you can go into your local bookstore and if they don't have it, you can just order it from them. Like, you know, your local Barnes and Nobles, whatever. Okay. Because we got a call during the break of somebody who was, uh, not, not online. So that's, uh, that's great for her because she can go to the local bookstore and, and you know, our friend down at Baker Books will take care of you too, listener. So you'll be all set. Uh, And, um, so we were talking about the idea of uh, politicians uh, being, you know, so many of them being psychopaths, and I'm sure that you would have no problem throwing out a few of those names. Uh, do you want me to, like, name historical <laughs> figures? Sure, yes. Yeah, we don't have to name yeah. anybody currently. We don't want to incur any uh, any uh, lawsuits here, but... Uh, yeah, well, I think, okay, if you're looking for a politician, think of 
with somebody who's incredibly glib, superficial, and seems to have no conscience. And that's, I will say one thing and do another, and even be smug about it. And that, unfortunately, covers a lot of politicians in just mm. about every country in the world. But in terms of historical figures, uh, in politics in general, you'll find that the biggest psychopaths aren't actually directly involved in being elected. They're high-ranking public servants or are involved in these behind-the-scenes organizations and groups and uh, would be sort of like the playmakers of the political system. They were in these think tanks and these NGOs and quangos where they, they would be sort of using the, polit- the financial system to fund certain political parties, actually both political parties and all, in just about every country, in order to get the politicians to do what they want. Now, that's how it works in, in like, the, de- the democratic world that we live in. If you want to look at, like, her, you know, classic examples of psychopaths and politics who did t- t- terrible evil, you would look at someone like Leon Trotsky. He went to the Soviet Union with a large amount of money to help finance the Bolshevik revolution revolution and when the revolution was won he he decided that the best thing to do to make people actually you know not complain about the new government would be just to pay death squads to kill anyone they could find and this idea was if you have everyone torn and terrified of everyone else and people being shot for no reason the, there'll be no opposition and they'll keep their mouth shut. That will be a classic psychopath in the political sense. Uh, there'll be many other examples. Pol Pot, these would be the ones who got to the top and got violent. Pol Pot, one as well. A lot of the ones who get to the top, they want to play God and they start to or- reorganize societies. Mao Zedong would be another one. He had this need to control people. But... Also, the hypocrisy would be there as well. While he'd be talking about morality and, you know, the feudal, you know, life of the the communist peasant under the under the you know the the, the red the red army or the or the, the the communist revolution in China, he himself had vast collections of sports cars and kept women on the on the side and concubines. And that's the kind of thing that goes on with these types. It's usually the, the combination of hypocrisy. They'll be talking about things like equality and how we all have to tighten our belts and these are hard times. Well, they, these guys would be living like millionaires. Now, I'm not saying Al Gore is a psychopath. I'm, I'm just not saying that. But a person who flies around first class in, in private jets all over the world while telling the rest of us to not fly because we're destroying the environment. That's the kind of thing you should be looking out for. Well, what about uh, outside of the political arena? What about those who might be considered um, religious leaders? Uh, the, I mean, I understand you know, that the idea of a psychopath is they have to know what they're doing, but I'm sure that religion is something that a lot of them can easily use uh, to help uh, you know, get the ends of their means. Somebody like a David Koresh, a Marv Applewhite, a Jim Jones, do these type of figures, do you, do you think that they're, they could be psychopaths that are just you know, utilizing that avenue uh, to get what it is that they're after? I don't know about David Koresh. He's an interesting character. I'd have to see more, more about him. But I, one, you know, what happened there was a horrific tragedy. It wasn't necessarily of his own, his own making. It would just seem to be a complete screw-up on every level mm-hmm. involving the government and everything. But, uh, and the terribly bad, badly managed law enforcement and, during that siege. Uh, Jim John. He was a classic example of a psychopathic leader. He would be very close to an, a... a uh, you know, a Charles Manson type who had this hypnotic, uh, you know, 
pull over and hold over his people. Jim Jones, there's a, a very disturbing video, a, 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 a audio of him that at the actual time they're poisoning the people in Guyana. And it's a classic psychopathic thing. He's telling the ones who don't want to kill their children that they're letting everybody else down. And his idea was he knew he was finished, so you're all going to go down with me. That's very psychopathic. The whole thing is like, you know, that you know this is i'm god even calling the place jonestown you know i mean i know it's called the people's temple but it was called the people's temple at jonestown the god complex inherent in the psychopath very very you know that that's very very common in the churches and the religions uh, I, you know a lot of the the top people in the catholic church unfortunately i'm not being sectarian here or you know i'm i'm, I'm a back of catholic background myself but it's just like i seen it here in ireland with the sex abuse scandals you had people who were involved in like having sex with children and then getting up on you know you know on tv and talking about how much they were going to protect children again that's very psychopathic to do one thing and say another well you know but aside from you know naming these names and and these more famous examples of psychopaths as we talked about in the first hour they are people that you do come in contact with quite frequently and you offer in the book a lot of advice about what to do if you've had uh, contact, if you've had a relationship, if you've had a long-term interaction with a psychopath. And for those who are listening and might, it might be dawning on them, hey, I think I'm dealing with that right now. What, what's your advice to them? Well, most people are going to encounter a relationship. They're going to be married to one or dating one or, you know, and it can happen to anyone. And the first thing is to realize is it's not your fault, okay? You are specifically targeted. And it, it do not blame yourself. Now, the second thing is to have absolutely no contact with these individuals ever again. And by no contact, I mean things like do not look up on their name, you know, after the relationship is broken up. Don't look up their Facebook page. Change your phone number if you have to. Unfortunately, you might have to stop being friends with people that you and the, the, the psychopath know each other through. That's an unfortunate aspect, but you've got to protect your sanity. And you will not recover until this, this entity, this, this being, this, this psychopathic predatory consciousness has no more hold over you. So the thing, the, the, most, the most important thing of all is no contact and no contact ever again. There's no going back. They're never going to be cured and they're never going to be reformed. And unfortunately with psychopaths, one of the things they like to do is they always like to seem to want to come back even as a friend but what they're doing is they're just testing you you're going to be they, they want you as almost like a relationship insurance policy and they will play people them for years so that's the main thing no contact ever again if you have to deal with them through you know you have children and things like that always have a witness when you meet them tell them things like you're going to record their behavior and just basically you'll just you know do not play their game do not engage them on their terms protect your own consciousness and protect your own dignity and keep your mouth shut around them and don't don't if they start a smear campaign against you uh, which they all do while the relationship is ending because well, they're moving on to their next target and afterwards do not start calling them psychopaths and sociopaths to everyone you know because then they'll turn around and say oh she she calls everyone that so the thing is that, that no contact and then start working on yourself but importantly if you just don't blame yourself. It takes a while, but the most important thing and the most the, the best the best healing tool of all is knowledge of what you were dealing with. If you if it suddenly dawns on you and you get the information from books like Puzzling People that you were dealing with a psychopath all along, it is tremendously healing because then you realize you weren't dealing with a normal human being. 
Well, I, I like that you did throw in there because I was going to ask about, uh, you know, isn't it human nature to try to, if you've dealt with somebody that's this bad, to try to warn others who might come in contact with them about it. But you suggest not even doing that. Don't even worry about uh, what they're doing beyond, you know, the relationship they had with you. Yeah, just move on with your life. You're, what happens to them is no good. They're not going to be thinking about you. You know, it, you may spend 10 years with them. As soon as they move on to the next target, it's like you never existed. Because the personality that they've actually that they've used to manipulate you wasn't a real personality. It was an invented persona that was just don't dare to work you. And that gets switched off. And this is also what most people find very damaging, is that when they encounter the psychopath later on, they find it as a completely different personality. And that can be extremely traumatic to someone who was in a long-term relationship or married or had kids with one of these things. All right, well, his name is Thomas Sheridan. The book is called Puzzling People. The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. Uh, definitely pick it up for yourself. Uh, it's a fascinating read. Uh, I, I only got it a few days ago, so I didn't get to complete the whole book. Uh, but from what I've read so far, it starts it starts to work its way into my head, and I say, okay, this person. I start, you know, I, there's so many personality traits of people that I know. Uh, and if you say that, if, you know, this affects four percent of the population, for some reason, I think that four percent is surrounding me. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just think I'm easy prey. I don't know. Well, that's what happens. They they look for people. A lot of people who contact me say I keep attracting these people over and over again. Now that you actually know about it and you know about what they may be, you send off an unconscious signal and they don't bother with you anymore. That's why reading books like Puzzling People is so important because you, you almost put a psychic shield around yourself and they don't bother with you after that because they know you're wise to them. I got a question for you. Go ahead. Do they network with each other? Pass no, suckers on to suckers type of thing? Well, they don't. A psychopath is, exists in a predator and host situation, a parasite and host situation. So they wouldn't really have much use for another psychopath. But they will team together for a common goal, like in a political party or a political movement or to a certain business. Or But they will they will turn on each other eventually or drive drive each other out. Or once they get what they want from it, they will leave. But no, you'll never get a situation where a psychopath will marry a psychopath or be friends with them because they wouldn't they wouldn't see any use in the other one all right thank you thomas sheridan for joining us tonight again the book is called puzzling people the labyrinth of the psychopath uh, you can go to labyrinthpsycho.blogspot.com, which i'm sure is linked up on the front page of spookysouthcoast.com as well uh, where you can follow thomas's work there and you can also order the book from amazon or through your local bookstore thomas thanks so much for joining us and uh, you know hopefully sometime we can have you back for a full show Oh, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on, and anytime you want me back, just ask. All right, thanks. Have a great night, and thanks for staying up late with us, too. No problem. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that is Thomas Sheridan again. Uh, you can get the book from Amazon. You can get it from bookstores. It's called Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. Fascinating reading, a little bit different than what we normally talk about on the show, uh, but we will get back into the paranormal coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to take a break uh, because we want to run the last of our commercials so that we can go the rest of the show uh, commercial free, but then we'll be joined uh, in just a little bit by Jeffrey Gonzalez of Sanger Paranormal Society. We get some interesting Bigfoot news, what he's calling some real evidence. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. We'll be right back with all that and more here on Spooky South Coast. It's funny, isn't it? Everybody in town's afraid of you. What's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen, and all your worry in the world isn't going to change that. Spooky South Coast is back. 
All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast, broadcasting live on WBSM and also online at Spooky TV. If you just go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash Spooky TV or go to the main page and just click on the little uh, Spooky TV logo up in the corner, you can actually watch what's going on here in the Spooky Studio and chat with some of our friends as well. And uh, we are having a great night here already with our first guest, Thomas Sheridan, talking about psychopaths. And now we're going to go a little bit different direction, back into the paranormal realm, with Jeffrey Gonzalez of Sanger Paranormal Society. And, uh, Jeffrey, you were telling me off the other, you guys are out of Fresno, California? That's correct. And uh, how's things out there these days? Um, actually, the weather today was about 92 degrees. Nice. Well, we, we had a pretty good day here, too. So, <laughs> But then again, you know, it's New England. Tomorrow it could snow, for all we know. Jeez, yeah. The way things are going, I don't. The probability is very high. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from what I've been told, now I haven't been told anything except that you have some uh, what's what you guys consider to be some real evidence of Bigfoot, and we actually have a guy here with us, Matt Moniz, my co-host here, uh, who has done a lot of investigation into Bigfoot. And I know he's just as interested in hearing about what you have as I am. Very cool. Um, well, the word got out on the internet uh, about a week ago, and. I think tomorrow the media, or I shall say Monday, the media should be picking it pretty heavy up on it. Well, what happened is um, I, I run a society, the Sanger Paranormal Society out here in Fresno, and we investigate everything paranormal from Bigfoot, ghosts, UFOs, anything weird, we're there. And in order for us to do that, we have to associate, our, associate ourselves with the people who really do this, uh, you know, for, has been doing this for a long period of time. And there happened to have been a, an investigator in Fresno uh, by the name of David Ragosa, who's been investigating Bigfoot for about 18, 19 years now. So I came in contact with him a couple of years ago. Excuse me. And uh, he has been taking me to this spot where he's been visiting for about nine years up in the Sierras, just east of Fresno, about three hour, two and a half hour, three hour drive, that an elderly Native American told him that if you go to this spot, you will find what you're looking for. So two years ago, I went for the first time, and we did catch something on a game camera. Now, this was two years ago, and that's on my website. don't want to talk about that because what we have now is going to be way past the evidence of what we had back then. Okay. So this past Memorial Day weekend, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, I, we left on a Friday, and we stayed Friday and a Saturday night. And what happened is Saturday or early Sunday morning, it started to snow. So, and we're way in the middle of nowhere. We're talking dirt roads to get there. I mean, we're just talking middle of nowhere. And it started to snow about 5 o'clock in the morning, and we said, you know what, we better get out of here or we're going to get snowed in and no one is going to find us because this is a remote area, period. And we had three vehicles and about six guys. I have a, a, a Ford F-150 pickup. Not a four by four, just a regular, you know, just a regular pickup. And my and David, he had the Jeep, and we had another guy who also had a four by four. <clears throat> well, David's Jeep did not start; it could not start. We tried to jump it, and I think the alternator went bad on it. And then at that point in time, when we were packing, throwing everything in the back of my truck, getting ready to get out of there, David comes up to me and he says, "You know what, Jeff? You're not going to be able to make it out of here in your truck." And I freaked. So what happened is we had to leave both of our vehicles up there in the middle of nowhere. My pickup, everything was in the back bed open, okay, all of the camping equipment. We had ice chests full of food, the whole nine yards. So we all piled up in our in the last vehicle, which was 
the Toyota 4x4, and we barely made it out of there because of the snow and the mud and the rain. So this is Sunday afternoon. We get back home, and I'm stressing because I forgot my laptop computer in the back of my truck. And for all those who have computers, and, and, and you know pretty much your livelihood is in, is in that thing. And I'm freaking at that time. So I called my buddy, Alan, who was with us camping that weekend. And I said, Alan, can you please do me a favor and take me up there to go get my laptop computer? I probably won't be able to bring the truck home, but at least I can bring my, you know, my laptop home and I can feel more at ease with myself. Because like I said, I have social security numbers, bank information, all that up there. But, you know, it, it, where we left our trucks, it's in the remote area. It's like, I, you know, at that point in time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be safe, but it's just I, I don't trust anybody nowadays. So mm-hmm. he took me up there Tuesday morning, and he brought, and he brought his brother with him because we were going to have to track in from the mountain down in. It's about two and a half miles, probably take us about 45 to 60 minutes by foot because there's no way we can take a vehicle into there because of the roads are just, just muddy, watery. There's not even a 4 by 4 would be able to make it. So his brother comes down with me, and we start tracking in. And we about 200 yards before the site where the, our vehicles were left up there, we started running into some barricades on the dirt road. Now, you have to understand, this place where David has been going for nine years, he's had so much activity, it's unreal. We find footprints all the time we go up there. So, you know, to find a footprint, it, it, it's really no big deal anymore because... We find a lot of them up there in the, in the special location. So we start tracking down, and we're you know as we're walking down into in the dirt road, we you know we're looking for footprints, and we don't we don't see anything. And then we run into this old tree, a dry out tree that someone had placed across the dirt road. And I'm going, you know, Jimmy wasn't with us on the camping trip, but I I, I told Jimmy, I go, hey Jimmy, this tree, this you know, which is very light, and somebody can easily push and take off. Well, two hands, no big deal. This wasn't here when we left on Sunday morning. You know, I, I don't understand what this is doing here. You know, we're, and we're looking for tracks. We're looking for tire marks, anything like that that would sure. help us try to figure out what's going on. And nothing. So we continue on. We find, we find another barricade. And this barricade is two tree limbs dragged over from the side and put in the middle of the dirt road. And, you know, I have pictures and all this, which, you know, at this point in time doesn't mean anything because I'm just thinking, okay, somebody put them in the middle of the dirt road. Why? I don't know. Third barricade, another tree limb across. The fourth barricade, this one was a little bit weird. There was now a a log about 14 feet long, and the radius on it was about 14 inches, weighing, we think, about close to 800 to 1,000 pounds. This wow. thing was laying on the side of the dirt road, and you can see where the impression was. So now it, it, it has moved between four and five feet over to the middle. Not across, but like if it was rolled over to the middle of the road, okay? But the only problem with that is that we're looking, and we don't see any marks of rolling or any footprints or any. The dirt was not disturbed. And on the tree log itself, there's like old tree branches that are, you know, that are still on the tree. So if you go to try to roll it, you know, either you're going to snap the tree branches or it's going to stop you from rolling it. Well, all the tree branches were still intact. You know, they were still maybe about a foot long, but still, you know, I, I got on my knees and I tried pushing this, you know, the tree log 
and I couldn't do it. And Jimmy goes, hey, you're not going to move that. I think it's way too heavy. And he's right. So that at that point in time, I'm going, okay, this is very particular. I thought to myself, did a park ranger come by, see our vehicle stranded, and put that there to protect our vehicles? You know, I'm trying to debunk this because as a paranormal investigator, I'm going, how did it get from there to there? Mm-hmm. So we continue on our journey. We arrive at the site, look at our vehicles. We're looking around for footprints. Everything is cool. There's nothing missing from my truck. And, I mean, I have all my camping equipment in the back, uh, food in the ice chest. I mean, tons of food. Nothing has been disturbed, okay? We do find one footprint, about 12 inches long, toes on it. You know what it is. So, and this was about 40 feet from where our vehicles were at on the dirt road. So, we so very cool. So, I took video of that. I took pictures of that. I opened up my truck, got my laptop computer. Bam, we're out of there. So, we start tracking Went uphill, took us about an hour, hour, ten minutes to get out of there. So we get home. I call David Regosta, and I tell him what we find. He says, cool. Well, the next thing, he goes, well, tomorrow morning, let's go back up and get our vehicles. So I'm going, okay, no problem. So I call my supervisor. I got the day off. Next morning, which is Wednesday morning now, uh, we go back up, and we hop into one vehicle, take us down, and, and, and the road is still messed up. I mean, really bad, muddy water the whole nine yards. And we get to the, the locations where the barricades are start, starting to come up. So we start moving them one by one. Now we come up to the log. And so it took four of us to roll this thing out of the way. We had literally had to get on our knees and push with leverage with our feet. And when we did this, you can see where the dirt got disturbed, okay, because it took everything we had to push this big old telephone pole-looking log out of the way. And we finally did. And the rest of the guys started walking, looking on the side to see if they got any footprints. And I hopped into the truck with, with our, our other buddy, Joe. And we arrived at the, at the location where our trucks were. I get out. I start looking around. I didn't see anything, you know, that's right out of the blue. I didn't see anything weird. And I turn around, and now I'm facing my driver's side window of my vehicle. And I went, I kind of bent over a little bit because what I was looking at sort of kind of like just scared the crap out of me, if I can say that on TV, on, on radio. Sure. Um, what I was looking at, and I almost, to be honest, I almost puked. I almost threw up because what I'm looking at wasn't there the day before when we came up to get my laptop computer. And what's on the passenger side window, I have an extra cap, okay, on my F4 150. Okay. And the driver's side window there's the impression of a creature on the window. And when I mean impression is this creature literally looked into my window, and I guess because of all the hair that was on it, the oils, the dirt, just this, it left an impression sort of kind of like the, 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 the cloth, the, 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 the Trout of Jesus, you know how that... Yeah, the Shroud of Turin? Yeah, Shroud of Turin. That's what it looks like on my passenger window. And it's so detailed, it's freaky. You can see the creature's face, the, uh, the depth of the eye, the hair all around the face, and it's there staring at you. And it shows the shoulder even imprinted on the glass. And I'm going, holy crap. So I go, I go, I go Jimmy, get over here now comes over and he goes, was this here yesterday? He's looking at it and he goes, 
No, it wasn't. Now, this is the passenger side window. The driver's side window, you have what appears to be another creature looking into the window, into the driver's side window, leaving the impressions of the nostrils, the nose, and the lips. Okay? The lips itself, just pretend somebody was wearing lipstick and put its mouth on the, on the window, and the lips are about six or seven inches long. The nostrils are about four inches long, and the nose is like three fingers, uh, four, four to three fingers of a human hand long. And that's what's left on my driver's side window. And we, at that point in time, we're all freaking out. Now, we're looking at the back of my truck, and right away, does it look like a bear? And the, uh, the guy, a mechanic came down with David to fix his Jeep, and he's going, and, and you know, we, all, we were all thirsty from tracking in. I opened up my ice chest and started getting sodas and, and, and water that was left two days ago, and even the mechanic goes, and he's like an expert as far as camping, he's been doing it for 30 years, and he goes, he goes, Jeff, you're telling me all this food you have in this ice chest and none of it's been touched? He goes, that's not a bear. And I go, well, that makes sense, because a bear would have sniffed my open fried chicken, my bologna, my, my weenie dogs, everything that I had back there would have torn apart my truck. But nothing was touched. What we have on the window of my passenger side window of my vehicle is the face, the impression of we think of a juvenile Bigfoot. It's not a bear. It's not a person because we are so far remotely away from everybody. It's not, it doesn't even look like a person. And when we show this to the world on Thursday, you will freak out what you, on what you're going to see. Now, on top of this, what we have because of the lips, the nose, the nostrils, the skin, the oil on the windows, we got DNA. So on the way down from Wednesday, I called my buddy who works for the Fresno Police Department at the Crime Scene Division, and I go, Mickey, this is what we have. I need for you to get your butt down here after work and take DNA samples and take photographs. And he says, no problem, I'm there. But the only problem, he called me a little bit later and said, hey, we just had a stabbing at Fresno State. I need to go over there. I won't make it tonight. So he came came over the following day, and I have pictures and video. He swabbed for DNA right on the lips, the nose, on the nostrils. It even shows mucus running down the window. Okay. So we swabbed all that. He takes photographs. And he said, Jeff, come here. I go, what? He goes, you see the, uh, the stuff right here where the upper impression is for the, the shoulders wrap? He goes, this is hair or fur. Either or. I go, how do you know? He goes, trust me, I know. This is hair or fur. And it, it, it looks like, like when there's a wet dog and, it, and the wet dog pushes his the whole body against the window, that's what it looks like on the oppression. I mean, it is it is the spookiest thing. I, I have shown, I, I started taking video with my iPhone and mm-hmm. started taking pictures with my iPhone. I even had a JVC camera. I started taking video. And I have shown people who don't believe in Bigfoot, period. And I show them pictures on my iPhone. I go, what do you think this is? And right away they say, well, it's not a bear. And they know what I do. And they look at me, and they go, you got to be freaking kidding me. I said, swear to God. I go, that's what was left on my windows up. Now you, and, and you have to understand that it's just not me who witnessed this. We have five people. Okay, We have a high school principal 
who's David Regosa, who's also the investigator for Bigfoot and used to be an investigator for the BFRO. Uh, and then we also have a correctional officer for 17 years at state prison. He was there. You have myself and, and, and two other people who witnessed all, all this, witnessed all this. So what we have is something that we think is going to change everything on Bigfoot. We believe, we have potentially believe we have the next best evidence to the Patterson film. That's how good this is. Well, I have to ask you, how have you, how have you preserved that window in order to uh, retain that impression that's on it? I took the windows off my truck. Okay. Uh, yep, they are preserved right now in a special location. Um, even I had my, I, two days afterwards, my buddy called me after I sent him uh, the, the, the picture. He goes, where are the windows right now? I go, they're on my truck still. You take those off now. <laughs> very, you know, very, you know, forcefully. You take them off now. So the next, following morning, I told my boss, my supervisor, can I have a couple hours off? Went to the location where they replaced windows, had them both taken off, and I got them preserved right now. And um, and <laughs> new windows back on. Cost me three hundred bucks, <laughs> but I had to do it because what I believe we have is we. I believe we have the DNA of a Bigfoot, of two Bigfoots actually. I believe there were, there was two different creatures there that day. So you've got this. You've got the DNA sample from the saliva. Yep. And and there was hair, or there was the impression. No, of hair? it was the impression of hair. Okay. So he swabbed pretty much everywhere. Have you gone over, I mean, I'm sure you have, but, I mean, did you go over the remainder of the truck to see if there had been any yes. kind of fingerprints Nothing. or anything left? Nothing. What, what, what also is shown on the driver's side window is two handprints, but they're very, they're not very detailed. But you can see where the fingers or the knuckle, knuckles are on the window, but the thumb is on the door itself. So, you know, a bare paw, you would see all the fingers all the digits, if it, if it would have laid his paw on the window, then you would be able to see all the digits. But you see the, the thumbprint on the left hand and the right hand all on the door and the digits or the knuckles of the fingers on the window. So they're, they're separated, okay? From what I understand, a bear's paw aren't separated that long, you know, that, that type of, you know, they're not that, that far apart. So even the... Um, even the forensic expert, when he was looking at that, he's going, well, I see the thumb down here, and I see either fingers or knuckles up there. And he goes, that doesn't look like a bear to me. <laughs> I'm going, okay, thank you. So what happened is that night when we came down, um, I decided to, I have a small radio show. I decided to go on and talk to everybody about it. And I took a snapshot with my iPhone. I had the video on my iPhone. And I decided to pause the video at a certain spot and take a snapshot with my iPhone. And I posted that on my Facebook wall. And it, it was on there for about three hours, four hours. And then I get a call from David Regosa. And he told me, you know what, Jeff? I'm going through all the video and the pictures that we have. And I can't believe what's left on your window. He goes, this is just truly, it's blowing my mind. and It's, it's totally remarkable. It's blowing my mind. You need to take that off right now. I'm going, why? I'm going, what, what I believe you have on your windows is potentially going to be very important in the near future. And this is not the way to, to, to show the world. He says, we need to show the world the, the right way. And I said, well, what do you mean? We need to hold a press conference. 
I said, you got to be kidding me. And he goes, no, we need to do it the right way. So I'm going, okay. So I started deleting all the pictures and all the remarks. And what happened is during that time period, time that the, the photograph was on the Facebook wall, once it's on there, it's public domain. So people, I guess, started saving that picture. Well, two days ago, somebody released it, and it's now on the Internet. You can, uh, as a matter of fact, somebody released it first to Lauren Coleman, and it's on his uh, uh, website, and it's on his Facebook wall. And the picture that's on there is, is the picture that I snapshot off the video. It's at an angle. You can see the face. You can see the, you know, you can see it pretty well detailed, but it's not quite as the same as if as if you were looking at it straightforward, because this is at an angle. And what happened is now people are going, well, especially from Lauren Lauren Coleman. He when he saw that, he said, "Oh, it's a homeless person." <laughs> but you have to understand, uh, we're up at five thousand five hundred feet in the Sierras. Okay, there's no homeless person up there. Sorry, um, Lee Spiegel from AOL called me, and he said, Jeff, um, Lauren Coleman just called me and sent me over this press release, and uh, you need to tell me what's going on with this Bigfoot stuff. And I started telling him, and I guess Lee called you know, Lauren to get some comments, and then Lauren pretty much said that, you know, it looks like a homeless person. That's all it is, homeless person. And, you know, and it, it's kind of blown me away because, you know, a lot of people are looking at that, and they're taking that what he says to truth, which it isn't. When you see on Thursday, when we show this to the world, it's not a homeless person. In no way, no how is this a homeless person. And you'll see it when you when, when you finally see it. You're going to get goosebumps. You're going to get shivers up your spine, like we did that day. Because this thing, when I first saw it, this thing was staring me down uh, on my window. And I, like I said, I got sick to my stomach because I just could not believe what I was looking at. So we have, like I said, we have potentially the DNA of Bigfoot, and I know we do, because what you see, when you see on the window of my truck, as you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about, that's not a bear. And, and you have to take all the evidence and all the facts surrounding the whole event as far as, you know, if that was a bear, then the back of my tailgate would have been ripped off my ice chest, four ice chests full of fried chicken, you know, hot dogs, bologna, all that would have been gone with bread and potato chips. All that would have been just gone, and all my, all of our camping equipment would have been all over the place. But everything was still intact. Nothing was touched. Well, what, what, what's your plans for the DNA? I mean, how do you plan to go well, about for, having that? Mickey, Mickey, the forensic expert, has, has told me, he says, in order to do the DNA, it's going to be very, very expensive. And I said, crap. And he says, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to find a company who has DNA from bear, gorillas, and monkeys in order to see if anything, if the DNA matches with any of those three. Because it's either going to be those three, a human, or Sasquatch. Okay. Now, he said it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars, which we don't have. So um, David Regosa, um, and, and, and we're going to have a meeting tomorrow on Monday, and what we're going to do is we're going to put it out there. We have in our possession what we know we have, and but we need somebody to come forward and to get this stuff tested. And, and, and at this point in time, too, 
I'm willing to, to take a lie detector test, and I'm sure the other guys are willing to do it too. But what we have is not a joke. It's not a hoax. I'm willing to take a lie detector test, and uh, we're willing to give the DNA to a reputable uh, forensic lab that can take it and map it to either to try to find out if it's a bear, a gorilla, a monkey, a baboon, and to see where this thing lies. Because right now there is no DNA of a Bigfoot. So people are saying, well, if they got DNA, that's going to tell us if we have a Bigfoot or not. No, it's not, because we do not have DNA for a Bigfoot. It'll just rule out the other exactly, possibilities. Exactly. It'll rule well, out everything me, else. Let me ask uh, Matt uh, Costo, uh, just keep an eye on things. If you've got to run that legal ID, we might go a little bit past. Uh, but let me ask my other co-host, Matt Moniz here, sure. um, who does DNA work and has done DNA work. What, what are your suggestions here uh, to these guys to try to help them out in this situation? Well, first you had it uh, appropriately sampled by somebody trained, obviously, to take correct. the sample, correct? All right. right. That's the biggest problem with most DNA is a lot of people don't know the appropriate techniques in order which to sample it. Uh, the other thing is uh, your statement about them not having DNA sequences for Bigfoot isn't exactly uh, accurate. Okay. They do have what they have determined to be an unknown primate s- sample series okay. from a number of different uh, locations. Uh, and all, uh, almost all DNA, when it was tested, goes into a, um, a main data bank. Of, uh, so these instrumentations and stuff can do searches for other parallel matching type DNA. Great. So, uh, and if you want, I can uh, try and hook you up with the main people that make some of the best instrumentation, applied biosciences. Uh, awesome. My brother-in-law worked for him. So I, I can definitely point you in the right direction. Cool. And, that, and, that's what, and that's what we need. Like I said, you know, it's, you know, we don't have the financial backing to do any of this stuff. You know, it's costing me a lot of money. I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm the one putting the, the press conference on, uh, the, removing, the removing of the windows and all that. And, and you know, I, I, we, we know what we have. You know, we're not here to make any money. We want to show what we have to the world. All five witnesses are going to be up there. Six witnesses are going to be up there. And we're going to tell our stories. We're going to show you the video of me videotaping the, you know, the windows. We're going to show you the pictures and videos of the four barricades, the three, you know, the tree limb, the tree, and the log on the dirt road. I'm just going to have you hang on for one second, sure. Jeff. Just hang on one second because we've got to run this legal ID, and uh, then we can continue on with the show for a few more minutes. Okay. Your local source for news seven days a week. <laughs> Quick, run another one. We're illegal. First with local news, talk, and sports. This is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM. Excellent. Okay, now that's out of the way. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Um, no, so that's where we stand. Um, you know, the only photograph that's out right now is that one that the picture um, that I took with my iPhone. And it's pretty much all over the Internet now. I don't know how far it's gone, but, you know, you can go to Lauren Coleman's Facebook and, you know, and look at it. Um, but, like I said, what we have here is very, it just, it's blowing my mind right now that what we possibly have, well, what, what I know we have. And, um, you know, it's, it's when people see the photograph. Of, of the image of the impression on the window, you know, they're, they're going to go, holy smokes. 
Um, and I'm also going to bring the windows to the day of the conference, and I'm going to take them out, and I'm going to show everybody. Here they are. Um, and so it's, that's where we stand right now. Um, this, we don't have a Bigfoot in the freezer. Okay, We don't have a Bigfoot in the refrigerator. You, do you want one? Because I know where there's one of those suits <laughs> kicking around. You know, and we don't have one in the washer and dryer for all that matter, okay? Um, what we're doing is, is we're putting our reputations on the line. You know, it's not coming from a, a third person or a second person. It's coming from us who found it. This is, was on my truck in the middle of nowhere. You know, I'm willing to take a lie detector test. Uh, you know, we want reputable companies to come forward to take this DNA and to run with it. All right, why don't we throw out the phone numbers in case anybody has some questions. We'll go just a few more minutes here. one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You can also throw in some questions into the chat room at Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com or you can email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So, uh, Jeff, when is this uh, press conference going to happen? It's going to happen it, Thursday. It, it will be next Thursday, June 23rd at 4 o'clock p.m. at uh, up the Piccadilly Inn, which is uh, our main air, airport hotel right across the street from the uh, Fresno Yosemite International Airport. That's 4 p.m. Pacific time. Correct. Okay, so that'll be 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And is there any plans to carry it online, or is any? I'm of not sure out? yet. If I do, I will announce it the night before. Okay, um, I can help you out if uh, if you need to. Um, if you, I assume you know you said that you have a laptop, right? And if you have a webcam, I can kind of help right. you out if you need okay. the help because we have our own online TV channel. So, wait, wait. So, well, actually, actually, we do too. Okay, um, I, actually, I do too. But at this point in time, you know, we don't know if we're going to do it, but. Um, there's a good possibility we might, but again, we're not sure yet. But what? if I do, I will post it on my Facebook page as of uh, Wednesday night. And have, have you, what outlets have you heard from? Uh, who do you expect to be there from the media? Well, the local stations, of course. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I sent out a press I hired. I actually hi- went and hired a firm out of New York to send out press releases to everyone who's in the media. Okay, um, I, As of Monday, I'm hoping that there's, I'm, I'm going to start getting calls. The Bigfoot in the freezer thing, I think, messed it up for all the Bigfoot investigators oh, out there. Okay, that screwed it up. Tom Biscardi just screwed it up for everyone. Um, you know, so will I hear from the bigwigs? I don't know. You know, they might come after once the image of the windows are out there and say, holy smokes, we should have been there. Then maybe they'll start calling me. But as far as, you know, them being there, well. I'll give you a little media inside info. Um, I mean, I don't know how plugged in you are to the media, but uh, what will end up happening is if the local stations come, they'll be affiliated with networks, and then networks can get that footage. Right. So it can easily be picked up. So if if the local networks uh, put it up there and it's deemed you know newsworthy enough, it, it'll be everywhere. It won't take long. Okay. Um, we got a couple questions coming in from the chat room. Sure. Uh, one is uh, somebody wants to know. Uh, how you are preserving those windows. You said you had taken them out and then you have them safe, but what are you yes, doing the, to the me? For, the forensic expert, Mickey, told me to wrap them up in paper, okay. in a certain kind of paper, and I actually have them in the, sa- in the same cardboard uh, box that the originals came in that, that were replaced, but they're not touching the actual impression, impression itself. Okay. Climate conditions. Yes, climate conditions, uh, 70 to 70 degrees, 24 hours a day. Humidity? Uh, inside of somebody's uh, 
uh, inside of a building. There's no humidity at all. Okay, it's a controlled environment. Yes, controlled. Yeah, not outside in my shack. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have another question here, and this one might be a tough one to field, but okay. uh, where, where there's been so many of these uh, purported, you know, Bigfoot samples before, uh, different uh-huh. types of evidence, and they've they've pretty much all turned out to be hoaxes. Uh-huh. Any fear on your part of nope. being labeled along those nope. lines? Nope, because I've got my reputation online. If if it was just me who found these on my windows, I would have washed them off as soon as I found them. But I have five people who were there when we arrived at the site that witnessed all this at the same time I did. Okay, and you have to understand, we have an award win- and on the press release, I specifically put on there, we have an award-winning principal, high school principal, has a master's degree. And I'm, the reason why I'm telling you this is because we all have reputations, we all have major jobs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I work for AT&T Telephone. Okay, uh, I have a associate's degree in electronics. Um, you know, I know a lot of people. For me to be hoaxing this would be stupid. You know what, though? The two guys in Georgia were law enforcement, so they had, you know, they had well, a lot, too. I, so. I, well, I think one was, like, on medical leave or, you know, and the other guy wasn't actually working. So they're idiots. You know, I'm, I, I'm I think, just saying, I'm just saying. Like, Oh, I no, think, you're right. People right. are going to raise that hairy eyebrow, no yeah. pun intended. Well, I think what happened is those turkeys, actually, I think it went too far, and they couldn't stop it after it got so far when Tom Biscardi decided to take it even further. I think I think it went too far, and that's where they blew it. <laughs> if they were just trying to do like a YouTube hoax, and I'm thinking that's what they were probably trying to do. Um, but this is not a hoax, people. I mean, um you know, if somebody, if there's a company out there who's willing to come and give all five of us lie detector tests, bring it on. Have you been in touch with Tom Biscardi at all? Heck, no, no. <laughs> I don't know the guy. All right. Don't know him. Just wondering. Hell no. <laughs> because I am keeping far away from that dude. I don't know if you're aware, but his current position is that the, uh, he, you know, he was hoaxed right along with the rest of us. Right. So. Uh, well, no, well, no, because you have to understand. He said, he, um, he said he was hoaxed on this, which is BS. He went down there and he took pictures right in front of this freezer. Okay, and and there's and there's photos out there that show him there at the freezer with the two guys, and he was there. How idiot of him to not put his hand in there and to feel, you know, to feel the carcass inside the freezer. I mean, I mean, come on. So he no, he lied well, to those, everybody. So they those are pretty lifelike suits. Man, they do a good job with those. Those cost a hundred dollars. <laughs> you want to know something? I've seen those, and I told my wife, you know what, I want one for Halloween. <laughs> I can't decide between that, the gorilla, or the big chicken. I think I'm going to go with the big chicken. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, if I was there, I would have stuck my friggin' hand in the ice, and that was, that's the first clue. You don't put a dead body in ice? Really? Water and ice? Come on. Jesus. Well, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the media will still uh, show up for your press conference. Hopefully there will be, you know, just as much attention because – I think now, and I'm not saying this to, to disparage you in any sure, way, sure. but I think now the appeal to the media is going to be, hey, we might have another one of these Bigfoot hoaxers. Right. You know, so that now right. they kind of want to catch you on that. So either sure. way, I mean, whatever gets them to show up, right? Which is fine, because I'm, I'm, I've already got notified by um, NBC down here, and I'm going to be on a talk show down here the day before. So I can tell you right now, the media knows who I am in Fresno. Okay, they, they, re- they know what I do. I've been doing this. For a while now, I've been on many of their uh, ABC and Fox networks down here with different things that are going down. Because, like I said, you know, we uh, we investigate everything paranormal, ghost, um, 
uh, UFOs. Now, I used to be uh, an, invest- an investigator for MUFON. Okay, matter of fact, I was a state section director for MUFON for the uh, Central California. But I, I quit about a month ago prior to starting my radio show because I was told that if I was to do my radio show, I could not talk about any of the MUFON UFO cases on air. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, if I'm going to talk about everything paranormal, of course I'm going to talk about cases that MUFON has. And he goes, no, you can't. You're not allowed to. So I said, see ya, and I quit. So I was with MUFON for two years, state section director. You can go and verify it. So um, everybody knows who he, knows me really well here. I get calls from the Fresno Police Department on objects flying over Fresno, and I've had it. I've had them call me on four times now. So they know who I am. They know I'm not a hoaxer. Uh, they've actually sent over people uh, that has had problems with either you know ghosts and businesses or whatever. They throw my name at them, and you know they they give me a call and say, hey, we have somebody that you can you know that you need to talk to or whatever. So I'm respected down here. I'm not somebody who goes out and pull hoaxes and jokes. That's not me. That's not me at all. Well, one last bit of advice before we let you go, Jeff. And this sure. is coming from somebody who works, uh, you know, I'm a newspaper reporter for my day job. Sure. So uh, as somebody who works in that field, let me tell you, the easiest way to get them to show up, tell them there's going to be food. <laughs> it doesn't matter if there isn't. Just tell them that there's going to be food. Oh, food or alcohol. Yeah, well, then we're not supposed to be impaired while we do our job, but nobody has any problem with us shoving our faces. You know what? I might just have to get some uh, weenies on the sticks or something in there then. I'm pretty sure nobody would cover, like, the Los, uh, St. Louis Rams unless, you know, if it wasn't for the buffet they give the reporters before the game. So, all right. You know I want to take you up on that. <laughs> that, that. That's fine with me, man. So, uh, Thursday will be the time, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Yes. Uh, pay attention to your website. You want to give out your web address to everybody? Absolutely. Sanger Paranormal Society. And Sanger is a small town east of Fresno. That's where I was born and raised, so that's why I call it that. And it's spelled S as in Sam, A-N-G-E-R, paranormalsociety.com. There you go. So everybody pay attention to that, and uh, hopefully this will get picked up, and we'll be seeing it on our you know local news, and we'll be seeing it on uh, all the international channels and I, uh, just looking at that photo uh, on, on Cryptomundo, I'm definitely excited about looking and, and seeing more about the rest yeah. of the uh, evidence that you have. So. It, it's, this is not a hoax, guys. I'm telling you right now, from God-honest truth, this is not a hoax. This is not a joke. We're not pulling anybody's chain. This actually, hap- it, it actually happened to us, and we want to show you, everybody, what we have on my windows. Just the one thing to be careful, though. What if somebody's trying to pull a hoax on you? No, because we know where we're at, Okay. And there's no way anybody could got to this location because we did, the reason why we had to leave is because there was a snowstorm. Okay. Well, I hope uh, hope everything works out. We'll be paying attention on Thursday, and uh, hopefully you can come back and talk to us more about it sometime in the future. Absolutely. And if you want, I will forward you very reputable labs that will do DNA testing. Cool. Then send them to me. I would really appreciate it. And, and anybody can send me anything they want at sangerparanormal at AOL.com. I also have a 24-hour UFO hotline that's on the website. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Good luck, Jeffrey Gonzalez of Sanger Paranormal Society. We'll be paying attention, and uh, if it does turn out to be Bigfoot, we'll send Moniz out there, and they can mate. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Have on. a good night. Good night. Thank you. Bye. All right. That'll do it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, I believe we're going to be having Nick Redfern next week, uh, who we're very excited about finally having him on the show. 
Uh, it's only been, what, almost six years now that we've been on the air, and we have yet to get Nick Redfern, and he is like the most prolific guy in the paranormal today. We're going to be talking about the real Men in Black, and I've just about finished the book. It is amazing, uh, some of the stuff that he gets into. It's, you know, you think when you're talking Men in Black that you're talking just about, you know, UFO-related phenomena? No, it goes beyond that. Uh, it goes into everything from folklore to... You know, clandestine government agencies. It's going to be a lot of fun talking about the real men in black with Nick Redfern. So join us next week at our regular time, and uh, hopefully the Red Sox will allow us to be on for the full show. Remember, you can get a hold of us all week long at SpookySouthCoast.com. That's the place to go to find out about the show. And you can also follow us on Twitter and follow me on Facebook, Tim Weisberg, and we'll keep you up to date there as well. So until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen.